Thank you for joining the online ministry of Little River Church. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Anybody thankful that you made it to the last Sunday of 2020? Amen. Ephesians chapter number 3. So good to be in the house of God today. So thankful that my wife, Summer, and my son, Oliver, is here with me. As you heard Pastor say, uh, when he was born, I told Pastor Josh, or as Oliver will refer to him as Uncle Josh, I said, listen, the first place we're going to preach other than our own church is our second home church, Little River. I was so committed to this. Surprisingly, someone called me, and I had cleared my schedule until this Sunday. But there was a pastor in need. He said, I really need you to come in Lake Charles. I said, okay. Summer and Oliver sat in the car while I was in service because I was determined that this would be the first place that he went other than our home church. Because you guys are family to us. And I love and appreciate all of you so very much. And thank you uh, for being so kind to me and my family. I give honor to, to my wife. I give honor to my pastor. Love and appreciate him. Also, I want to give honor to the pastor of this church, my dearest friend in all the world. I love Pastor Josh Payne. Does anybody else in this building love Pastor Josh? Come on, I know Sister Tiff does, but is there anybody else that says, that's my pastor. I have the greatest pastor in the world. Amen. He doesn't like public recognition, but I love him and I give honor where it is due. I appreciate you and your kindness to me and your love to me. Uh, he has been such a, a treasure to me that I've looked to in some of the hardest times of my life, times when I wasn't thinking straight. Uh, he's been there to help me, so I give him honor along with his family and all of the leadership team here. Uh, Brother Shane, some of my dearest friends are here. I give honor to all of these leaders. Little River or the River Church is blessed with amazing leaders. Aren't you thankful for that? You guys are overflowing with leaders. And so I give all of you honor. Ephesians chapter number 3 and verse number 14. I'm excited to be here. I, I truly feel God has spoken to me. A specific word to share with you today. Ephesians chapter number 3 and verse number 14. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom all, all the family in heaven and earth is named. Aren't you thankful to be in that family, as pastor said? That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Somebody shout love. Talking about love, he said, I want you to be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And to know, everybody say no. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He said, I want you to try to know something that you really don't possess the ability to know. He said, I want you to try to comprehend something that is beyond your comprehension. That is the love of Jesus Christ. I can't explain why he loves us the way he does. I've tried to tell God I wasn't worthy of it, but somehow he still showers it upon me. He said, the, this love, it just, it passes your understanding. It passes your ability to comprehend it. Some of us, we wonder, why does he love us? I don't know, but this is not a time to try to debate with God that he loves us. No, it's just time that we receive it, and we are grateful. God, thank you for loving us. 
I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I wasn't a very lovable person. But he loved us anyway. He said, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. He said, and when you know this, verse number 20, now unto him who loves you beyond anything that you can comprehend is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him who is able be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages and world without end. Amen. Go back to verse number 20. We're going to focus on this verse. I was talking to Brother Carbo after service, and he pointed something out that I think is essential. He said, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask. As he said, most people say all that we can ask or think, but it doesn't say that. It says above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. For the next few moments, I want to preach very simple. This last Sunday of 2020, records are meant to be broken. Records are meant to be broken. I believe God has sent me here today with a message to stir someone's spirit up to understand that you have a purpose in the kingdom of God. And there is greatness in every single person in this room today. I heard a writer say, no one is born average. They simply settle for it. But I want to make a decision today that we're going to settle for more. I want to believe God for more. Would you lift your hands one more time and would you pray before you seat it, Lord Jesus? We need you in this house today. I'm asking you to do what only you can do. God, this is not about us. This is all about you. I give you glory today, Jesus. I give you honor because you alone are worthy. I pray that you would speak to your people. God, let us have ears to hear and a spirit that is open to receive your word with all readiness. God, I pray all of this in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, and let the church shout amen. amen. Turn to someone, give them a fist bump, and you may be seated. I must confess, as I did in the 9 o'clock service, something that most of you, if you know me at all, probably already know, but I am a slightly uh, competitive person. Sometimes it's a vitamin. Sometimes it's a poison. Sometimes it's my biggest strength. Sometimes it's my biggest weakness. I'm not really sure where it originated. Neither of my parents were very competitive. However, since I can remember, as long as I have participated in any event where winning was an option, winning consumed me. One of the earliest memories of my competitive nature was in the first grade. I was on the playground of Sipiri Avenue Elementary School in Bogalusa, Louisiana, and I was racing two of my friends, Jonathan and Ray, on the school ground. And what made matters worse is there were a group of ladies off to the side that were going to watch us race. And I remember the pressure as a first grader that I felt that I will not lose this race. I remember lining up, looking over to Jonathan and Ray, thinking they have no chance. That race meant nothing in the world to anybody else but to me. It meant everything. I felt like I was running in the Olympics because I was so competitive. As a child, perhaps a side effect of this competitive nature 
was there was this book that I discovered that I simply became obsessed with. For the longest, I never owned one, so my only chance to read it was when I was visit the library or happened to see it on the shelf at a store. I'm not sure where the obsession formed with this particular book. My family showed no interest in it. None of my friends cared much for it, but I was simply fascinated by this book. The book dates back to 1954. It was the brainchild of Sir Hughes Beaver, but ultimately co-founded by two twin brothers, Norris and Ross McWhorter in London. As of 2019, it is now in its 64th year of publication, published in 100 countries and 23 languages. This book is known as the Guinness Book of World Records. I was simply fascinated by this book. As a young child, it was my mission to somehow find my way into the book. I wanted to break a record and have my name etched in history. So I began to scour the pages of this book to seem or to find me a record that seemed uh, able for me to break. Obviously, there were some records that I could never break. I just physically could not do that. I could never be the tallest man to ever live. That record belongs to Mr. Robert Waldo, who was last measured on June 27th in 1940, measuring 8 feet 11 inches tall. I could never be the fastest man in the world. I could never hold that record. That title belongs to Usain Bolt, who ran 100 meters in 9.58 seconds. I physically cannot break those records. And then there were records that I did not want to break. One in particular was the record for the most hot dogs eaten. Mr. Joey Chestnut ate 74 hot dogs in 10 minutes in 91 degree weather. And the worst part about it is most of them he doused in water before he ate them. I don't want to break that record. I can barely do the foot long from Sonic, much less 74 of them dudes. And though I find that impressive, I have no desire to try to break that, Pastor Josh. I just, that doesn't appeal to me, dipping a hot dog in water and then eating it. There are some records that I physically can't break and some mentally that I don't desire to break. But even as a young child, there was something in me that I didn't want to be mediocre. I didn't want to be average. I viewed limitations that other people placed on me as motivation. There was always this desire in me to push the envelope, to try to do more, to cross over to the threshold of the next level. It was always something in me that pushed me, that I didn't want to be like everybody else. I wanted to be better than competition. And more importantly, I wanted to be better than my old self. And some of that have translated into my relationship with Jesus Christ. This past July the 4th, just a few months ago, most of us gathered to celebrate our nation's freedom. And rightfully so. But this July 4th was pretty special to me because it marked 10 years of me being spirit-filled. 10 years of me serving God and giving myself to the kingdom of God. And I'm not really sure what was significant about the number 10, but there was something that was so, that was, that was so just, it was just a big deal to me to know that I've served God for the last decade of my life.
So 19 year old when I first received the spirit I had never dreamed that I would be able to serve God for 10 years and so it was a big deal for me it was a milestone and for a decade I've given my life to God and I have to, I've attempted to serve him the best of my ability and I can tell you that I'm only here by the mercy of God his mercy has kept me I have fallen many times but the only reason that I stand here today is simply I have gotten up more times than I have fallen I have made a decision though I be imperfect I'm going to serve God I have many flaws and I have many failures and many setbacks but I have purposed it in my heart that I'm going to serve this God who was willing to die for me and shed his blood for me there's something in me that says I'm not quitting on God because God's never quit on me but I can tell you over the last 10 years that I have been in some amazing services. And I am thankful for every service that I have been in. I am thankful for every message that someone has preached to me. I am thankful for every youth camp, every youth congress, every prayer meeting, every miracle that I've been able to witness. I am thankful for all of the people that I have seen repent of their sins and be filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. I am thankful for every life that's been baptized in the name of Jesus. I am thankful to see someone's sins be washed away. But there is something in me today that says, though I be grateful, I am not satisfied. There is within me today this divine discontent that says, if I truly serve the God who created the world, that I want to see more of what God can do in 2021. The irony of pursuing God is this. The more that we pursue, the more we discover there is still yet more to be pursued. Job said it like this in Job chapter 37. God thundereth marvelously with his voice, and great things doth he which we cannot comprehend. That's the kind of God that we serve. And if that is the case, then I don't ever want to be satisfied with what this world can give me. But I want to look for things that only God can give me and I want to have expectation in my life to say God's not through giving people miracles there are still healings that people can get I still believe someone can come to an altar and their life totally turn around I still believe drug addicts can be healed and alcoholics can go sober and marriages can be put back together I still believe that I still believe that our God can do great things that we cannot comprehend. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 145 that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. We must understand that God is great. He deserves great praise. But lastly, his greatness is unsearchable. There's one version that says when it comes to his greatness, there is no end. No one has exhausted the greatness of God. No, not one soul has discovered the depths of his greatness because his greatness is unsearchable. Church, you will never reach a dead end upon the greatness of God. You will never use a GPS to pinpoint the end of his greatness because it is unsearchable. There are no longitude and latitude coordinates that can take you to identify the end of his greatness because his greatness is unsearchable. And that is the God that you're serving today. His greatness transcends humanity. 
Throughout time, God has revealed his greatness to people, but not one person could ever testify to say that I have witnessed the fullness of his greatness because his greatness is unsearchable. It's beyond anything that we could ever comprehend. Therefore, if we serve a God with unsearchable greatness, may we never be satisfied with simply having glimpses of his greatness records are meant to be broken we are a part of a kingdom where God is constantly defying the odds and breaking the mold and saying when people put me in a corner and it looks like all hope is gone that's exactly when God says now is the time that I do my best work when my people feel like it's out of their hands I'll put it in mine and I'll let them know there's nothing out of my hands our God is able to do anything So I have made up my mind that if my God is the one that I serve and he has unsearchable greatness, then greatness is what I'm going to search for. I am still going to search for miracles. I am going to search for the supernatural. I am going to search for souls who are in need of conversion. I am going to search for breakthroughs. I am going to search for my God to be able to break every record, every limitation, everything that humanity tries to put on him. No matter what culture says, I still know that Jesus Christ sits on the throne and he still has all power in heaven and earth and he's still able so I challenge you today church may your expectation be greater than your limitations our God is able time would never permit me to be able to discuss or reveal to you all of the times in scripture where Jesus would break the records and he would go above and beyond anything that we could ever imagine but allow me just a moment to share a few times when Jesus stepped in and did the impossible in Matthew chapter 8 the Bible says that there was a man that had leprosy we must understand that in the scripture if someone had leprosy there was no cure for them there was no hope for them it was worse than COVID-19 if you had leprosy they placed you in a colony with other lepers and they left you there to die there was no hope and Jesus because of who he was was not supposed to touch the dead according to the law but the Bible says that a leper came to Jesus and said can you make me clean now I know those that stood there and watched probably thought he can't make you clean there's no cure for leprosy there's no medicine for leprosy there's no doctor who says I specialize in leprosy but what they failed to realize is this is the Bible says that Jesus could do anything so Jesus looked at him and said I will he looked at him he put forth his hand and he touched him and said I will be clean and immediately what was never supposed to be cured was gone in a moment just one touch from Jesus Christ healed what no one thought could be healed Never underestimate the power of one touch of the Savior's hand. Never underestimate the power of one touch of your Savior reaching out and touching you. In a moment, he can heal what no one thought he can heal. In Luke chapter 7, the Bible says that there was a woman whose son had passed away. And Jesus interrupted the funeral procession. The Bible says he walked by and he touched the casket and he spoke to the dead man. And the Bible says in verse number 15 that he that was dead sat up, began to speak, and they brought him back to his mom. What did Jesus do? He touched what no one would touch and he spoke to something that no one would speak to. When you have enough faith to put your hands on something and speak to it, it can resurrect. Don't let the 
the limitations of the naysayers mess up your faith but you just have enough faith to believe that Solomon said that the power of death and life are in the tongue so release your faith and say I will speak to that which was dead like the prophet Ezekiel and I believe the sinews of the bones can come back together and there can be life that's our God who did that because he's the one the ultimate record breaker who can do what no one could do in John chapter 6 perhaps details the story of the most popular occasion where Jesus breaks the records and did what no one thought was possible the Bible says that after these things Jesus went over the sea of Galilee which is the sea of Tiberias and there was a great multitude that followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased and Jesus went up into a mountain and he sat with his disciples and there was a Passover the feast of the Jews was nigh and when Jesus lifted up his eyes he saw a great company coming to him there's a lot of people that were hungry and so he says to Philip where can we buy some bread that all of these people may eat? Now, it's important when you read the scripture to know that when God asks a question, he doesn't ask questions because he needs answers. He asks questions to his people to give them revelation. Such as the case in Genesis chapter 3. God says, Adam, Adam, where art thou, Adam? He's not asking Adam the question because he needs his location. He's trying to get Adam to understand something, that he has succumbed to condemnation, and he's hiding from the very one that could save him. So when God asks the question, it's not because he needs answers. He's doing that to give us revelation. So he asks Philip the question, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? And so Philip, being the logical one, probably a gold, begins to calculate, okay, where can we buy the bread? How much? He's Jesus, all we have is 200 penny worth. He said, we don't have enough. It's not sufficient for them. And Jesus said, I asked him this to prove himself. He, see, what Philip doesn't know is Jesus already knows the solution to the problem. He is the bread of life. He is the one who can sustain those people. But Philip begins to try to do the math. He says, listen, all these people, he says, okay, we need this much money. We don't have enough. Sorry, God, there's going to be angry. There's just nothing we can do for these people. But verse number 8 says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto Jesus, Oh, I got an idea. There's a young person here who has five loaves of bread and two fish. It's his lunch for the day. This is what he says. Here's what we have, but it's not enough. So Jesus, I have enough faith to tell you that we do have something, but not enough faith to believe that what we have is enough. He said, we have these five loaves and these, these two fishes, but it's not really enough. And Jesus says, it's not enough according to your mathematical ability. But if you'll give me what you got, if you'll place in my hands what you possess, I can do something with what you give me, and it will turn into a miracle. I know when we look at this church and we feel like it's not enough to reach this community, but if we can give God what we do have, God can begin to do something and multiply it, and it becomes the breeding ground for a miracle. 
So the Bible says that they gave Jesus five loaves of bread and two fish, and he broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is what I want you to do. Now, most people misquote this. Most people think that Jesus passed out the miracle to the people. No. He took part in the miracle, and then he allowed his disciples to take part in the miracle. He gave his disciples the bread, and his disciples the fish. And he said, now I want you to distribute the miracle that I just gave you to everyone who's starving. We are a part of the plan of God in the last days. God wants to give us what he wants to give the people that are lost and that are hurting. But we must be willing to understand that God can do it. Even when we don't see how. Even when it looks like it's going to run out. We just have to trust God that God's going to do it. He's never failed me. He's not going to start now. All we have is all we need. We must understand when you are serving Jesus Christ, all you have is all you need. God is enough. And Jesus used what was originally only supposed to feed a young boy for lunch and turn it into a buffet for over 5,000 people. Jesus turned a shores into an abundance. Before Jesus did the miracle, people were destined to starve. But when Jesus was finished, there was more than enough because that is who we serve, the one who can break any record. It is a truth of two testaments that God's sufficiency is greater than our deficiency. And when God is our supply, we will always have enough when God is our supply we will always have enough so many times we find ourselves in situations like the disciples did we see the multitudes they're starving we know that we have Jesus but we're unsure how it's going to work out we attempt to do the math and we attempt to be logical we attempt to try to figure it out but the more that we attempt to figure it out the more we realize we don't have it figured out and when we consider the task that has been set before us it seems like it's too much because for us alone it is too much but we must remember we are not alone that we have him and he is enough records are meant to be broken church i want you to leave today with a new mindset to realize who you are serving you are serving the god of unsearchable greatness and he has enough for you and your family and then some god is still big enough to save my family god is still big enough to save your family god is still big enough to build this church god is still big enough to save this city god is still big enough to reach your children god is still big enough to mend your broken heart God is still big enough to bring liberty to the captive. God is still big enough to bring healing to the sick. God is still big enough to bring joy to the depressed. Psalm chapter 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He said, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We must take solace in the fact that when we dwell, all is going to be well. Because when we dwell in, we abide under. And we're not just abiding under anything, but we are abiding under the Almighty. In the Hebrew, that is El Shaddai, which means the sufficient one. When you dwell in the secret place and fellowship with God, when you have a relationship with Him as His child, when you dwell in that place, you are now dwelling under the shadow of the sufficient one. The one 
that says, I can provide for you. I can heal you. I can comfort you. I can save you. I can deliver you. I don't know about you, but that excites me to know that I have a God that's covering me, the all-sufficient Savior. And when you realize and when you see who you're serving, it changes what you say. Because the very next verse says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. That's what separate the people of God in 2020 from the rest of the world. Because when chaos started to ensue and racial injustice started to go crazy, the church of the living God had this peace. The Bible says that passeth understanding. Peace that passeth understanding means your understanding's right here but your peace keeps going it doesn't make sense that you have peace but that's the peace of God and the reason being is because we know who we serve so it affects what we say I will say of the Lord I will say of the Lord I know the world's going crazy but I'm going to say of the Lord I trust him he's going to work it out He said, I will say of the Lord. And when you read those next few verses, you need to read them and pray them and believe them that he's going to deliver you. That there's no pestilence. There's no affliction. A thousand may fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand. But you can say of the Lord, he is my fortress. He's going to keep me safe. He's my refuge. He's where I run to when things get crazy. And I know that I can trust him. Because that's the kind of God we serve. The one who can break every record and crush every limitation. The one who has unsearchable greatness. That's your God. Somebody shout, that's my God. We must understand that everything is going to be okay. But we must not simply settle to survive. Because we were created to thrive. I'm not just going to settle for just being here. But while I'm here, I want to do something. So in the midst of chaos, I'm still going to pray bold prayers. And I'm still going to believe God for the unexpected. Because I want my life to be a reflection of the God I serve and the Bible I believe in. I want my life and my actions to be a reflection of the God I serve and the Bible that I believe in. I serve the El Shaddai, the one who is sufficient, the one who is more than enough. So therefore, I will not place limits on my limitless God but I will believe that God is still able to do the impossible God is still able to do anything God can still turn any situation around God can still restore the broken I will not conform to this culture. My faith will not succumb to the pressure of this culture. I will not bow to my current circumstances. I will say of the Lord I trust him my God is able. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Arthur Pearson said there's a seven, sevenfold measure of the power of God in Paul's benediction. First, God is able to do what we ask. Second, God is able to do all that we ask. Third, God, God is able to do what we think. Fourth, God is able to do all that we think. Fifth, God is able to do above all that we ask or think. Sixth, God is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. And seventh, God is able to do exceeding 
abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So consider today what it is you need. Now consider the God that you are serving that he is able to do above anything that you can conceive or that you can even think or that you can even speak. That is the God that you're serving today. He said, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Our inability is overshadowed by his capability. And we must understand the verb as Paul said, now unto him that is able. He did not say now unto him that was able. We don't serve a God who was better back in the day. God didn't have the glory days back then. And he's just kind of weakened as time went on. No. And the struggle that most people have is most people can believe God for two tenses. Most people can believe God for the past tense. Oh, he did it in the Bible. He did it back in the brush hour days. He did it back in my old church. He did it back when I was a kid. And most people can believe him for the future tense. Most people can believe that there's a heaven and there's a rapture. And one day, God, we're going to be in eternity with God. Most people can believe for the future tense. And most people can believe for the past tense. But a lot of people have a problem believing for the present tense. But if I can believe that he did it back then, and he's going to do it in the future, that I'm going to believe he can do it right now. Because it's now unto him that is able. Not was able, not will be able, but I believe today, in the name of Jesus, God can still do anything that I need. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. And here's where it gets tricky for God's people sometimes. That last part kind of gets us. According to the power that worketh in who? If I say us. The proof of his greatness is what he put in his people. His spirit. And we must understand the power of what we possess. Because it's not just God who can do more or something that transcends human logic. But God has put within his people that same supernatural power where we can become the vessel that he flows through to do the very same things. Jesus himself said it in John chapter 14 and verse number 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do. Shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Because he goes to the Father, that means he's going to send his Spirit to his people. And when we receive the Spirit of God, when we receive the Holy Ghost, we receive the Spirit of the Almighty God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So ask yourself the question, if God is able to work with such superabundant, limitless power, why does he not do it? Why do such few Christians seem to see the expression of this greatness? There is one possible answer. The limitless power of God is limited by the unwillingness to have it work or the unbelief that it can. All we have, church, is all we need. God has equipped this church with what it needs to make an eternal impact in the kingdom of God. But it is time for men, women, students, children, families to realize who you are and who you serve. 
Records are meant to be broken. But that can only be done through the Spirit. But if you have it, you can do it. Because all you have is all you need. But you must make the decision in 2021. I'm not going to settle for mediocrity when the God that I serve possesses this unsearchable greatness. While the masses are settling for less, may the River Church be determined to settle for more. I want everyone in the room to close your eyes. And I want you to consider what you have been praying about, what you have been asking God for. Maybe, maybe it's something you have prayed about for the entirety of this year. Maybe limitations that you've placed on God, what, what you're trying to believe God for. I want you to allow the word of God to penetrate your spirit, to encourage you that God is still able. It may be a family member. It may be a financial need. It, it, it may be a physical ailment. Whatever the case may be, I want you to believe that God can still do it. In the name of Jesus. I want everyone to stand to your feet. The musicians could please come. Last week I was I was praying early one morning at our student center. And I wasn't particularly praying for 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 this church or for Pastor Josh, which I try to make it a daily thing that I pray for him, his family, and this church. But I wasn't particularly praying for this church and all of a sudden I felt God begin to to speak to me this from the book of Ezekiel. And I don't know about you, but Ezekiel is not the easiest book for me to understand. When I'm doing my Bible plan and it comes to Ezekiel, I'll put it on two times the speed and listen to it. <laughs> that way I can say, I heard it. Oh, yeah, it was great. It's just kind of confusing sometimes. But as I was praying, and I don't say this lightly, I really felt God spoke to me about the future of this church. The Bible says in Psalms that they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. What does that mean? That means in the midst of tears, you still sowed. In the midst of you not really knowing what's going on, you still gave. You still prayed prayers. You still worship. You didn't understand why people around you were doing the things they were doing. You didn't understand why the trouble in the church. You didn't understand why, why everything was going the, the opposite way that you wanted to go. But you still sowed. In tears, you still sowed. The Bible gives a promise that you shall reap in joy. Galatians chapter 6 said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Now, there are those that try to make a mockery of him, but always know that God will have the final word. He is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. In the church this year, it's been a hard year, but you've been sowing. You've been sowing into the lives of broken people. You've been sowing into the lives of hurting people. You've been sowing into the lives of people that have come needing direction. And God sees your sowing, and there will be a reaping. 
as I was praying, God took me to the book of Ezekiel. And it's almost like I can see the picture. The Bible says that the prophet saw this river going from the house of God. The Bible says this river goes from the altar. Then as it begins to go, the Bible says that it was ankle deep. Then knee deep, waist deep, and it begins to be over the prophet's head. The Bible says, so that I cannot pass over it. The Bible says that the, the, the river began to flow through different places. Even so much that it flowed to the Red Sea, or to the Dead Sea rather. And even in the Dead Sea, there was life. And as I begin to pray, I'm, God, what does this mean? Why are you showing me this? I can barely understand the book of Ezekiel as it is. Why are you trying to speak to me out of this book? Couldn't you go to the book of Psalms? But as I begin to pray about it, it's like I could close my eyes and I could see this river coming from this church. And as it begins to leave, and it comes from here, from the house of God. And it, as it begins to go, it begins to pick up steam, and it's a river, and it's ankle deep, and it's knee deep, and it's waist deep, and then it's over our head. The Bible says he took him back, and he said, son of man, do you see this? Ezekiel chapter 47 and verse, we're going to read it in verse number three. He said, as a man went eastward with a measure line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then let me do the water that was ankle deep. Measured another thousand cubits to the water that was knee deep. Another thousand cubits and let me do the water that was up to the waist. And he measured another thousand. Now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and it was deep enough to swim in a river that no one can cross. Here's the first thing that I really felt God spoke to me. If this church is going to go to a place that God wants it to go through, we must lose control. Because as the water got deeper... No longer are your feet fastened to the bottom where you can control. But now you're at the mercy of the current of the river. And we must go with the flow of the Spirit. It's uncomfortable to not be in control. But when we relinquish control, that shows us that God truly is in control. And we can trust where the river takes us. Next verse said, Verse number six says, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. Trees represent life in the scripture. He said on both sides, everywhere that river went, there was life. Verse number eight said, And then the water flows to the eastern region and goes down into Arabah. And when it enters the Dead Sea, when it empties into the Dead Sea, the salty water became fresh. And when you look at what that means in the King James and in the Hebrew, it literally means it was healed. When the river made it to that dead place, it brought healing. The next verse says, swarms of living creatures, wherever the river flows, there's going to be a large number of fish because this water flows from there. And shall make the salt water fresh so where the river flows, everything will live. And here is what I felt in my spirit. There is going to be a river that begins to flow from this church. And it is going to bring three things. Number one is going to bring hope because it's going to bring life. 
Number two is going to bring healing, both emotionally and physically and mentally. And number three is going to bring a harvest. There's going to be a great multitude of fish because God has seen how you've handled broken people. Wherever the river goes. And here's what I believe. This has a twofold meaning for this particular church because the Bible says in the New Testament, John chapter 7, that out of your bellies shall flow rivers of living water. The next verse says, but this spake he of the Spirit. So this is how we're going to close this service. There was, there's a responsibility that God wants every person in this room to have that wherever you go, the river goes. And where the river goes, there's going to be hope. Where the river goes, there's going to be help. There's going to be healing. And where the river goes, there's going to be a harvest. It's not going to be because of who we are, but it's going to be because of who He is. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in the river. It's inside of you. Now you just must unleash it and let it happen. Thank you for watching today. If you would like to help us deliver content around the world online, please consider making a donation. Please go to littleriver.church and choose what option works best for you. Thank you and have a great day.